Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. At Passage to Profit, we're all about the creativity, energy, and excitement that comes from starting your own business. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Yes, people just like our listeners. People who are excited about taking a leap of faith and starting their own business. With so many tools and opportunities, there's never been a better time to start your own project. Get inspired by listening to Passage to Profit right here on WOR 710. You'll get great advice from those who made the journey and get great tips and inspiration. Tonight, our guest speaker will be Marcel Bota, the founder and CEO of 10X Beta. Marcel is an entrepreneur, engineer, architect, and investor who experiments with simple hardware ideas on the edge between consumer and medical products. Marcel specializes in guiding product development teams from concept to viable product and has a passion for product acceleration and digital manufacturing. Welcome, Marcel. Tell us about 10X Beta. 10X Beta is a product development firm that has been uh, around in New York City since 2010. Uh, we are located in the Brooklyn Navy Yard, and uh, we share a space in New Lab with 100 other companies who are all focused on hardware. We're one of a few inside the space that do product as a service, but also product as a venture. Most of the tech industry in New York historically focused on digital products, consumer internet, banking, fintech apps. And while we do work on software and firmware, most of our work in those areas is in support of hardware. So robotics, autonomous vehicles, and medical devices, fun stuff. Consumer products too, do you also work on those? Yeah, so we cover consumer products as well. We have a series of products that range from simple, uh, unique, commodified goods, all the way to complex uh, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Wow. So if I came to you, let's say I got really smart and invented a medical device. (laughs) 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 And and I came to you, say I had an idea in my head and a drawing. Is that where you would start with me? Um, It could be, yes. You know, smart is, I would say, is a... I think you're very smart, by the way. (laughs) Some days, other days not so much. (laughs) And there's plenty of days you've given me drawings. I haven't been able to do anything with them, so... Well, yes, I mean, they say ideas are cheap and execution is everything, but the reality is that we can't do our work without a client or partner figuring out the latent need or the problem that we're trying to solve. We're very good at solving simple and complex problems and helping those problems to see the light of day as products. But without that need identification, there's nothing. So you play the most important first step. So give us some example of some of the types of problems that you solve. A couple of years, well, many years back, I would say, uh, 2008, 2009, a friend had type 1 diabetes. We were having lunch. He mentioned that he always forgets whether he took his injection or not. So I went back to the lab, took apart a Nike sports watch, and duct taped the sports watch module to a diabetes insulin cap uh, for a type 1 injector. And I had him press the timer every time he took an injection to test whether it would be viable or valuable to him to know how much time elapsed since his last injection. That became a large company that we sold to, uh, to a pharma company in Silicon Valley a couple of years ago. Wow, what a great story. 
Yeah, so you also invest in companies that come to you. Is that correct? I do. So in 2012, I set up a fund with my dad, who's a surgeon out of Cape Town. So he brings uh, legacy medical expertise in multiple verticals, cardiothoracic surgery, general surgery, and other areas. And I bring the product development experience, and we set up a 100K fund specifically to invest in medical device uh, products. Of those, we've uh, sold some of the investments. We're uh, finishing sort of the, I think, the final stage of um, the investments for the majority of the of the early stage tests that we did, and that was before 10x beta really took off. So now, with 10x beta, we typically try and look at negotiating an equity stake in every product that we touch, because we believe in uh, three things: that if we just invest cash we're not valuable to um, the entrepreneur in that sort of isolated state because we also want to provide expertise. We do want to uh, create long-term partnerships with the people that we work with. And, you know, our longest uh, New York client has worked with us for five years, has done multiple products with us, and has won multiple awards for these products. So we we do believe in legacy relationships with our clients. And then lastly, you know, we are emotionally invested in the things that we choose to work on. And um, investing in them also creates alignment. So how do you choose what to work on? Originally, I would say that we filtered for relevance and scale. And that's why we did a lot of medical devices in the early days. Now we work on not just medical devices, but also on more challenging products for um, large corporate or Fortune 500 companies and entrepreneurs alike. We recently researched whether or not there was an opportunity to invest or build a new product in the vertical takeoff and landing aircraft space. And until that research opportunity came about, we had never done anything in aerospace. It didn't matter because we had a network across the U.S. that came from uh, both academic and professional networks that was able to answer the question of where the opportunity lied. So that we figured that was relevant because there's 100 companies in the U.S. today building vertical takeoff and landing aircraft for single-seater or taxi use. All of those are military applications, or are they for commuter applications? I would say 90-plus percent of those are for civilian use, and so commuter use and uh, other areas. And I found the premise of the challenge of figuring out where the value lied as being one of the most uh, intriguing intellectual challenges that was posed in 2018. So the first step was only to figure out whether we should build a plane or not. And we decided that given where the industry was going and given where every other company was investing their money, it made more sense for our client to invest in range extension technologies. And that did overlap with interests that the DOD and other government applications would have because it it applied to more than just vertical takeoff aircraft. So the project started as trying to make a decision about whether you were actually going to build one of these vertical takeoff planes. And then it kind of morphed into trying to understand you know, what does the market need? And then based on that, you extending the range of these planes was where the market was going and where you felt you could make a contribution. Yes. The, the challenge we have with every product that comes as an idea or a napkin sketch is that we still have to validate whether there is a product there, whether an opportunity for new technology or a new product exists, or whether something already can be purchased off the shelf. So, so we how, do, how do you go about figuring that out? I mean, what are some of the things that you look at to make those decisions? 
So we, we typically divide our project into at least three phases. So there's a discovery, a development, and then a commercialization phase. The discovery phase is there so that we can de-risk the, the process for both us and our client so that we can answer the tough questions that have not yet been answered relative to the cost of product development, the novelty of the technologies that would need to be developed or that exist that need to be integrated in this new product, and also the long-term commercial viability because that's what everyone cares about. So you would suggest to an entrepreneur that, I mean, a lot of people have ideas and they make something, but they haven't really tested the market. So I'm, I'm hearing you would suggest that they really look at the market and see if it needs what they have. For starters, just doing a Google search helps a lot. <laughs> Google knows everything. <laughs> it's, a good st- it's a good starting point. So there's three sites that, I, you know, when, especially when I deal with um, lower cost commoditized goods, I do a Google search, I do an Amazon search, and I do an Alibaba search. Because one of those three sites uh, are most likely to throw back things that you could buy or that somebody else is selling. The next layer, you know, that's where you guys come in, is really looking at sort of the patent landscape. I do have one more question on this topic, though. Just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean you necessarily shouldn't if you can do it better or cheaper, right? Like, I always use the example of Martha Stewart. She sells sheets. Like, <laughs> those have been around forever, right? There must be some decision point where you say, okay, there really aren't any improvements that could be made in this technology that are significant enough to go forth with this project. Yes, I think, and also looking back at your previous question, there is definitely a need to assess how are you going to make money with what you're doing and how you're doing it differently. Casper, Parachute, all these companies that are commodifying and scaling how we buy mattresses and bedding are doing nothing different than what Sears did. But Sears is going out of business because they didn't evolve as a, in terms of how they serve their clients. This is a great discussion. We're here with Marcel Botov from 10X Beta. And we'll be right back after this message. You're listening to Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We'll have a few more minutes talking to Marcel, and then we'll go to the pitch presentations. And tonight we have three entrepreneurs pitching their companies. After the pitches, you, our listeners, can go to the Passage to Profit page at GearhartLaw.com and vote for your favorite pitch. That's GearhartLaw, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Don't forget to like us, too, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And everybody only gets one vote, but the voting's open for a week. 
So if you want to win the contest, you got to get all your friends and social networks to come on the website and click on the picture of your product. Call company. in all those favors. <laughs> <laughs> so tell them to remember the name. Just imagine themselves walking down a long passage or maybe a short passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. Passage to profit. And always may your passage be short and your profit be huge. <laughs> And if you want to be on the show, we have taken our meetup into the virtual space. So we do all the pitch auditions by phone now, but we do them in a certain time window. So you still need to go to meetup to schedule to pitch during that time. You do have to be in New York to be on the show. So you can go to the meetup website or just Google Passage to Profit and sign up. And it's free to be on the show, but you have to have a website and you have to have social media and you have to agree that you're going to promote there. Marcel Bota from 10X Beta. Marcel, let's continue with your story now. We were talking during the break, and I had a question. I said, if somebody's listening and they have something that they think Marcel might want to work on or that might fit, how do they get a hold of you and start the process? As a fellow entrepreneur, my goal is to have our company empower as many New York entrepreneurs as possible. So we typically, we're available on Google, on social media channels, our phone numbers listed, they email us, set up a meeting. There's a filtering process that we go through to make sure that everyone is um, spending the right amount of time and the right, uh, and we attract the right talent to have the conversation with you. And then we have five offices worldwide. So we figure out which team should be the best fit for what you want to achieve. If we really need to be cost conscious, we may send it to our Johannesburg or Cape Town offices to help with the design for manufacturing stage. We do design for manufacturing, which is the final step before you manufacturing at scale in both New York and South Africa. We do um, design uh, development and early stage strategy in Europe and uh, in the US. It depends what the challenge is, but we're always open to have that first conversation. I met this really interesting doctor about four years ago at a dinner of entrepreneurs. I believe it was at Notel at the time. This doctor was Dr. Kyle Lapidus, who is a um, psychiatrist who specializes in treatment-resistant uh, depression and other psychopharmacological uh, applications for psychology applications. And we have since partnered to develop a drug delivery platform that is secure and safe to help both people who suffer from depression, but also PTSD and other ailments, to get the medicine that they need in a way that does not put them at more risk akin to the opioid crisis that we have today. So the product is something that reduces the access to the drugs so that somebody prone to depression won't overdose. Yes. So the biggest challenge we have with modern drug delivery in the U.S. is that your identity is only checked when you fill your prescription. And then you're on your own for 10 days, 30 days, until you run out. So you can take all your medicine when you leave the building, or you can be conscientious and take it as prescribed. We know that that's not what happens. So we developed a device platform that gives the doctor and the patient caregivers access to the data of use, checks the identity of the patient every time they take a dose, and helps them to manage chronic symptoms over time. Is that on the market now? We are currently going through the pre-FDA process of um, final development for the product. We are raising money from uh, sort of venture capitalists and private equity funds to get us through the first year to two years of commercialization. And uh, the product is called Validos and will be uh, in test trials in the summer. So is your end point going to be selling this to one of the pharmaceutical companies? or Nothing that we make, we want to own like you own art. Everything that we build is built for resale and built to 
sell to somebody who can effectively scale it because we are not the scaling entity. We are the development, the origination, and the product development partner. What are some of the hurdles that entrepreneurs typically face in the design of a consumer product or medical device? Well, one of the biggest challenges you have when you start a product entrepreneurship is that you don't have a team. You have to go and build a credible technology or product development team. And that's one of the most costly teams that you could build in New York. So about six, seven years ago, I decided that before I build another venture product, I would first build a team. And that team is now 10X Beta, who is successful in its own right. But that team gives us the credibility and the scale to address any of these venture products that we want to partner or spin out ourselves. The reason for building that team was to de-risk the most important step of building a product venture. What is the biggest risk? The biggest risk is that you're not going to be able to fulfill on your promise to your investors to your customers, whether you're doing a crowdfunding campaign or whether you are uh, taking venture backing, you need to fulfill or complete the product, commercialize it, and scale it. And many people falter at one of those steps, if not all of them. And I think every entrepreneur has some sort of team, whether it's people who sit in an office around them and work together in a company, or whether the team is composed of consultants, right? You maybe need a marketing consultant or a financial person. You need somebody who understands manufacturing. You need, you know, somebody who understands sales and maybe digital marketing. So everyone who's trying to succeed with a product needs some sort of team, but it may not necessarily be all under one roof. So do you rely primarily on 10X Beta employees, or do you also draw on skills from other places? We have a need or a reliance on a network much larger than just the employees inside the building, whether you're, you're 10X Beta or whether you're a startup that uh, is developing a new product. And society has changed enough over the last 10, 15 years that what was used to be frowned upon because you're using too many consultants for a venture-backed startup is now perfectly fine because work has changed. We're in a gig economy where you go out, you find the talent that you need for that specific task. If it's a marketing consultant, are they coming on two days a month, two days a week, or two hours a day? It doesn't matter. You tailor the talent that you need for your challenge or your product that you need to deliver. And I think the world has caught up with that as the template. So then how do the team members get paid? I'm just curious because you have this team, you're developing this product. Am I living off my savings for two years? (laughs) It's always the catch-22 with uh, entrepreneurship. Like who foots the bill until you raise money? So with with early stage ventures, I always recommend that you have um, a partner or partners who can carry the load. It's very lonely to go at it uh, yourself. We have built an enterprise in 10X Beta that is now profitable and uh, was uh, last year listed on the, the Inc. 5000 as fastest, growth, uh, fastest growing companies in uh, America. But that wasn't an easy title to achieve. In the early days, I funded everything. And I had to make sure that the infrastructure was in place to pay my first employee, my second employee. And now we have over 20 people that are either full-time or part-time consultants. Yeah, it's always a little bit of a risk when you're bringing somebody on because especially full-time and you're taking responsibility for them, you're bringing them into the organization and you're paying them a salary. But in order for it to work out, they have to do enough of the right kind of things that you see a benefit from it that justifies their salary. And sometimes 
it's a little bit of a risk. You're pretty sure that this is going to work out, but you know there are so many unknowns, you don't really know for sure how it's going to work. And that's one of the challenges, I think, of working in an entrepreneurial venture is hopefully making enough of those right decisions that you can grow the organization in a financially healthy way. Exactly. And be okay with making mistakes. And also be okay with people that you're hiring making mistakes. Allow them to make mistakes. Because if you fire the person that you just hired because they made their first mistake, then you're going to beat yourself up next week because they didn't make mistakes on the other nine things that they were perfect at. Right. And you're never going to have a team if you <laughs> if, if you let people go after they make their first mistake. Tr- I've had to fire myself many times. We know a few people who are solos because nobody wants to be on their team because yeah. so they fired too many. I think celebrate imperfection and invest in your team. That's what I would say. Those are the things that uh, people cherish most. Great discussion. We're here with Marcel Bota from 10X Beta. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now we're at the pitch portion of our show. Each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch. The first two minutes, they fly solo, and so for that time, describe their project and put it in the best possible light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, and Marcel to describe their project in greater detail and convince the audience their project is the best. At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gerhardt Law website, where our listeners can vote for the pitch they like the best. And our first pitch is by Jennifer Catafiotis. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. My company is Weight Wellness Center and Weight Wellness Center Kids, which is a weight loss and weight management program for children. It's something that's licensed to pediatricians so that they can use the program in their office. This started when I was in grad school, and I was actually in a lecture by Dr. Dorian Liu, and she said the following, children born after the year 2000 will be the first generation of Americans to die at a younger age than their parents if the obesity and overweight epidemic is not addressed. That floored me. I made a note, I circled it, I put stars around it, and I don't think I heard the next 10 minutes of the lecture because I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I had a daughter that was born in 2003, so this affected her. And as a mom, I want my child to do better than I did. I want her to succeed and go forward and be healthier. So that was really where everything started. Fast forward to this past November, and I launched Weight Wellness Center Kids, at the American Academy of Pediatrics convention in Orlando. And it was very well received. 
sadly, it was so well received because there's such a huge need for it and there's nothing like it out there. So pediatricians can license the program in their office. And the reason I see that to be so key is because pediatricians don't have the tools that they need to address this epidemic. So what they do is take my program, teach their staff, I assist them with that, and then do the program in their office. One of the big barriers to success for weight management and weight loss in children is that the parents don't have the tools that they need. They sometimes can't help themselves, let alone their children. So this way, it's right there in the office of the people that they trust with their child's health. That is fantastic because I know it really is a problem. And I don't know why it's become such a problem. Do you have any idea what's changed? There's so many different things. Um, when I was young, usually one parent was home. Uh, you didn't go out for lunch. Maybe you had came home and you asked permission to have a snack, and then you were given choices of what it could be. There were so many different variables having to do with just what was available. Now we have super stores with super portions and super size everything, and that's part of the program. We don't know what a proper portion is. And so many times I see parents giving their children the same portion size that they're giving themselves just because they don't know what a proper portion is for a child. And that can be tough. We went out to dinner last night at this really good restaurant, and I got literally a bowl full of pasta with a few shrimp on top. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, it's enough pasta for five people. And they didn't even have kids' <laughs> meals on the menu, right? So, you know, if they're younger or, I don't know, past the age of like eight or 10, they're, in many cases, they're ordering off the adult menu, right? And for an eight-year-old, a, a large plate of food like that's just bottomless. How do you see your product extend further to, to the home and to the parent and the kid to make them adhere or help them adhere to the good advice that the pediatrician may give them? Well, part of what I have is a HIPAA-compliant platform so that the children can upload pictures of what they're eating if they're not able to describe it in words. The parents can do the same because as soon as you have a barrier that's presented, writing things down, keeping a food diary, it's not going to happen. So I need to make it as easy as possible and having a cell phone in your hand is one of the things that makes it easy for people to do. And then the practitioners can make comments in real time or if they dedicate an hour a day to look at what everybody's posting and then give a thumbs up if the child probably put something green on their plate for the first time since they were seen or just decided to jump rope. Whatever it happens to be, positive reinforcement is very important to this platform. So do they interact every day with their provider? It depends on the child, the parent, and the provider how they want to go ahead and do this. And what we're seeing is that the more times there's interaction, the more positive the results are. But it doesn't have to be every single day. If the child is doing exactly what they need to do, sometimes just hitting a thumbs up is all that's needed. So it's not taking a lot of the provider's time because that's been one of the barriers that the providers have given me. I love this idea of positive reinforcement um, on a frequent enough basis where the child is interested in um, going the extra mile to make a difference because sometimes just satisfying the parent is not enough of a driver. And having the clinician keep an eye on both is one of the extra sort of levels of adherence. 
Have you seen kids sort of getting more enthused around uh, taking photos of their food where you may have to start giving um, photographic awards for the best Instagram <laughs> food? That's a good yeah, idea. When they start posting their food, you know, it probably do already, right? But uh, Thank you for that. And, and if, the parent, if the parent is the one that uh, prepared the food, then they should get <laughs> And then mom and dad might want to actually cook a little bit. <laughs> What, what do you see as your biggest challenge to scale this? Uh, let's see, finances? <laughs> so, so, yeah. so I'll ask the question again because finance is always a challenge to scale. Financing is um, a combination of, uh, of access, credibility, scale, and cash flow, uh, and many more factors. But before, you imagine you had, um, have to go out for an investor pitch right now as you are, and you have to raise money just on one criteria. And this, how will you scale this platform beyond yourself and beyond the training solution that you currently provide? Like, what is the people challenge in terms of making it scale and training enough pediatricians to buy into the platform? Scaling it, I don't see as a problem, quite honestly. Um, what I see is getting the pediatricians to buy into this and to appreciate. They appreciate the need, but to appreciate the fact that they can have this in their office and I haven't added to their workload as it is, that I can train nurse practitioners, physician's assistants, a office manager to do this program so that they are helping children. I also have a exclusive geographic area with all the licenses, so it's not going to become like a coffee shop that's on every single corner, so that the doctor knows that their investment is protected. They will be one of the few in their area that has this, so that it's not just their patients that they're looking at, but it's all the children in the area that they can help. Right now, I have a practice in Florida that identified just quickly 700 children with a BMI over 85, uh, I'm sorry. In, the, in, the, in that particular practice? Yes, in wow. the 85th percentile, excuse me. And those are the ones that are already clinically obese, not the ones that are trending in that direction or are overweight or any children in the area. So it's definitely something that's needed. And again, my research has shown that there's a broken loop. The doctors don't have the time or the training to train their staff or to do a weight management program. So then they are telling people to call their insurance companies, see if a nutritionist might be covered. That's not necessarily the case when it comes to children, unless they are morbidly obese, and then it might be something that's done at the clinical setting. And so then they're directed right back to the pediatrician. So there's definitely a gap in care that WWC kids can fill. Do you have any success stories yet, or is this too new? I have lots of success stories, uh, and I usually see them in big smiles, uh, girls that stand up taller and are wearing the clothes that they always wanted to wear. Um, a little girl that went for the dreaded cholesterol screening and saw that she was back in range after her cholesterol was in the 400s. So I've seen lots and lots of success stories. And like you said, Marcel, that you're not doing a job if you love what you're doing. That's exactly what I'm lucky enough to be able to do every day. It's not a job. It's a passion that hopefully I can extend outside of just my practice. That is wonderful. And your website again is? www.kids.com. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years. 
hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And this evening, our second pitch is Rashad Doctor, who's going to be talking about hand mats and hand mat sport. Rashad, you have two minutes. Go. Hello, Richard and Elizabeth, investors and iHeartRadio listeners. I'm the doctor, the inventor and CEO of Handmad and Handmad Sport. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how many Americans use public transportation daily? The survey says 35 million Americans go to public places where their hands come in contact with bacteria and germs, the primary means of transmission for cold and flu. You can wash your hands. You can use hand sanitizer, but only after contact bathroom doorknobs, elevator buttons, and subway handrails. You can use work or safety gloves, but they're not typically carried in a variety of environments, especially office settings. My company's patented design provides a protective barrier for your hands and attaches to your body or bag to be conveniently used. On public transportation, in hospitals, at schools, universities, sports arenas, gyms, fitness centers, and it's machine washable. I launched in 2017, one designer and a pair of scissors. A ton of inspiration. As you can see, there's a need for an improved item of personal protective gear that protects your hands from the transmission of cold and flu. But wait, there's more. For athletes and fitness lovers alike who want protection from contact, thermal, and frictional injuries, Handmat Sport offers all the protection you want all day and all night long. Join me and work on a project that's bigger than you ever thought possible. So let us protect 35 million American hands with Handmats and Handmat Sport. That's 35 million American hands with hand mats and hand mat sport. Well, you ought to be on the radio. <laughs> that was incredible. You brought back the ancient art of the pitch, Rashad. That was awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> so uh, describe your product for us. Hand mat is a two-piece material rectangular in shape comprising of apertures thereby being an integral part of the hand mat itself. Attaching a securement device with the fastener to one end of the hand mat while simultaneously attaching the other end to a person's hand, body, or bag. One of the hand mat's aperture is long enough to encircle a person's hand, and one of the hand mat's aperture is long enough for a securement device. Hand mats are exquisitely designed, featuring beautiful yet simple materials, and we manufacture in the USA. It's made of soft padded material, 
neoprene, spandex, leather, or cotton. And the two pieces are attached by a sewing machine. So what is this called? It's like the fishing line that comes out and then snaps back in? It's a retractable clip. Okay. I really never thought about how dirty everything was or is until I heard your description of all the places. Even after being married to me, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the major germaphobe. You're preaching to the choir here, doctor. (laughs) So how often do you uh, foresee the user cleaning this device? The handmat is basically geared for a user who's going to use it for three to six months. Uh, We recommend disposing of it disposing of it at that point, and then purchasing another one. Okay. Would you wash it uh, in between um, sort of use uh, over the course of this three- to six-month period? I would recommend washing hand mats periodically, the same as you will wash your jeans, your jacket, your shirt, your, or, or anything else that you use on a consistent basis. It sounds like um, this is an opportunity to also sell hand mats in sets and also uh, sort of fashion-coordinated sets. Actually, you're 100% right. In 2007, I was making hand mats for myself. By 2018, first quarter, I started securing my intellectual property, design and utility patents, plus trademarks. Second quarter, I focused on research and development. Third quarter, I focused on marketing, online, social media, networking. And by the fourth quarter, we sold out 4,800 units for a total of $37,344. I paid myself one-third, the business took one-third, and the rest went to staffing, legal, and professional services. The handmat itself um, is made of very unique material, and it benefits you throughout your day. Well, what I really like about it is that you don't have to, like, put it in your purse or touch it. it. It retracts back on and, like, hangs off your belt, so you never have to put the dirty germs anywhere else. You could just get home and throw it in the washing machine. The question I always ask uh, my clients is, why would you want the germs on your hand when you can have it on the device? The device itself will protect your body, your, your, your hand, from any contact with germs and, and, and bacteria. And your hands, when they have abrasions, will allow germs and bacteria into those cuts and wounds and that's where the transmission of cold and flu comes in. Uh, Rashad brought samples into the studio, and everybody here is playing with them. It's a oblong piece of cloth. It's rough on one side, and it's smooth on the other side, and it's sewn together. And you slide this onto your hand, and you can grab things with the hand and protect it. And then there's a line that goes to that retractable clip. And so the cloth just kind of hangs on your belt or on your pocket, wherever you put the clip, right? And then just whenever you want to grab something, you just put your hand into that loop and you just grab whatever it is that you want, right? Handmat and Handmat Sport is a corporation and we manufacture the best protection products available. Medical devices that protect families against cold and flu, cuts and abrasions by keeping their hands clean and allowing them to touch what they want to touch. And so how did you get motivated to create this invention? I was just doing it all by myself at, at one point, and I was making the hand mats for myself. Um, people continuously ask me, what is that device that I was wearing? Um, I began creating it for my friends, for my families, and then I realized yeah, there's only 24 hours in a day. And I wanted to be two steps above where I was. So it it comes back to a business plan that I I produced for myself. And I realized that in 12 months, I was going to be 
uh, one third larger than where I am at today. So I started planning for growth and looking for investors. So for those people who are investors, you can put your money in a bank at like 2% interest. But if you're looking for more than that, if you're looking for growth, then you want to get in on the ground floor. You want to ultimately be part of our undoubted success moving forward, helping guide us and together have that interesting journey. Let's say you're an investor who wants a piece of the company. Well, we're offering equity and we have a three to five year outlook with a plan to sell the company and license the patent as part of our broader exit strategy. Like I said before, we're manufactured in the USA and we make limited edition handmat and handmat sport products. Rashan, tell me, uh, what was the impetus for the current shape and what other shapes do you foresee developing in the near future? The best way to get around in the city is by MTA. On average, 9 million people use the MTA on, on, on a weekday. Being in a subway car without uh, much space is one thing, but having to hold on a pole that someone just sneezed on is another. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing this home. You know what? I'm not getting on the subway without this again. (laughs) Handmats are for the people who go to the gym, who use exercise equipment, who ride a bike. A person who goes shopping and carries shopping bags or grocery bags. Imagine carrying, you know, a a half a dozen bottles of water home and and plastic bags. That that tearing of the plastic in your hands. With a handmat, that's eliminated completely. Thank you very much for bringing your product to Passage to Profit, Rashad. Why don't you tell us again how our listeners can find you? You can like us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. Google us at handmats or handmatsport.com. Well, thank you very much. We've finished our second pitch. We'll be on to our third right after this commercial break. You're listening to Passage to Profit, WOR 710. The Voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company, company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now we are on to our third and final pitch with Marie Joseph. Welcome, Marie. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Marie Joseph, and I'm the owner and growth strategist at Bested, a marketing consultancy that is dedicated to helping startup founders and marketers market smarter and faster. We provide growth strategies, market research, and user experience strategies to help starters get to their growth goals faster. And I like to say that we are a small team that delivers big results. And a part of that is um, the discovery process. And this is something that we do with all of our clients. 
And um, the way that I look at it is that people call it different things. Some people call it problem discovery. Other people call it market research or getting to product market fit. Regardless what you call it, this is something that is done at the startup stage with any company, whether you're a, a new startup or you're an established player that is simply launching a new uh, product or service. And essentially what we help startups do is to see if there is a market for their product, if there are enthusiastic buyers, and we help them cater their messaging around these buyers so that they're appealing to their emotions and they get to close the deal faster. It sounds like you and Marcel kind of are at the same spot beginning a project. Like, does anybody really want to buy this? Exactly. Right? I would say that for any startup, as I mentioned, the the first stage is discovery. And then after that, for me and my clients, it's a matter of designing marketing experiments. And the reason why, why you want to design marketing experiments is that when you're a founder, you're incredibly passionate about your product or your service. And, um, you know, you're essentially trying to get that product or service in front of as many people as possible. And sometimes that involves you marketing across anywhere between five and 10 different channels. And that's incredibly overwhelming. It's very hard for you to keep track of like all of the strategies that you're managing, the metrics that you're tracking. So when you design experiments, you get to focus on just one thing at a time and you create a hypothesis around this experiment, you test it, and then you see how it's performing. And if it's successful, you like dial into that. And if it's not, you go back to the drawing board and you try something different. Marie, the most common trait between all us enthusiastic um, entrepreneurs is this blind optimism. Right. That what we have to sell is 10 times better than anybody else's. And it's been proven that there's an order of magnitude difference between what people want to pay and what you want to sell it for most products that we make. How do you do, uh, manage that translation process and how do you effectively work with your clients in that space? Yeah, that's a great question. So as you mentioned, sometimes you can be really passionate about what you're doing and you can't really see outside of that. You kind of have tunnel vision. So the process that we work through at Bested is that, you know, we're doing market research. So we're speaking to our clients about, you know, the solution that they're providing. But then we're looking really closely at that market to see how people are discussing this thing. And quite honestly, it can be as simple as going into different forums or chat groups or social media channels and doing like a hashtag search, right? So seeing how someone feels about Pepsi and um, you could capture the sentiments there. And so in that way, it's a lot easier for you to get outside of your product. You see exactly how people are discussing it. You see the exact words that they're using. And that provides an opportunity for an entrepreneur to then use those words and create an emotional attachment. So you're essentially repeating those words back to your potential users. And they're like, oh, wow, this is exactly how I feel. And now you have your customer. So if you do that and somebody, say, invented a new hairbrush and mm -hmm. you're seeing, oh, who wants a new hairbrush? There's so many hairbrushes on the market. Nobody really needs this. You know, yeah, it does this, but nobody really cares. And you have to go back and tell them, you know, I think you might want to take this a different direction. Do you do that? Yeah, sometimes we do do that. But also it depends on why they're creating this product. And again, there are so many different products where there are already like duplicates, right? If you go down the water aisle, there are tons of different brands of water. But what people attach to is that emotion, that experience that you're providing. And so that's why 
one of the services that we provide is user experience strategies. Like how do you want your potential customer to feel when they're using this? And so you can almost kind of create like this narrative or like a fantasy about, you know, what that experience for the user would be like. And so sometimes you do have to tell customers like, hey, I I really don't think that this is realistic or this is what the market is saying. Here is a potential opportunity for you to go down a different avenue. And sometimes it's a matter of literally just the story that you're spending for that potential customer. How do you create uh, awareness for a product that nobody's ever seen? So if you have a coffee mug and you have a different color or a different shape, everybody knows what it's for and how it's used and maybe you can make a connection, an emotional connection for that coffee mug by some pretty design or words. But what about something that's brand new that the public hasn't seen before? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that I experienced at my last job before I started this marketing consultancy, where it was not necessarily something that people have never seen, but it was incredibly niche, like payments, for example. Like, it's not something that people typically think about. You're just like, you know, I, I want to swipe my card. I don't want to think about the process of it going from a bank to a bank or whatever, right? So in that case, I have to be honest, it takes a lot of work. When it's something that's completely novel or niche, it's a matter of creating a lot more experiments and and like being really realistic with what you can accomplish and what those metrics are. Marie? What would you deem one of your most successful recent um, experiments or engagements? Um, so one of the most recent success stories for Bested is our work with an innovation marketplace. And to Richard's point, this is something that doesn't really exist. It's for governments that are dealing with revitalization. And what we did there was we decided to do psychographics for uh, this company's potential users where we try to get into the heads of these users and it's not just a matter of like oh you're female and you're black or you live in New York it's a matter of what are the things that motivate you what are the things that you're currently struggling with on a daily basis what social channels do you hang out on and we map those out and from there came a lot more clarity in terms of like who that potential user was Um, And then we created a content strategy and a new website strategy. And once she launched this new website, she was able to see a 30% increase in traffic, which is really great for a new... Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So can you do that to our website? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. So this is really like high-level marketing, really in-depth stuff that most people don't even know is out there or that they can use for their company. Yeah. So do you work with a lot of small entrepreneurs? Are you priced that way? So I typically work with startups and across different industries, but my preferred industry is uh, software as a service, also marketplaces. So I, I typically stick with startups, yeah. Okay, great. So what is your website? It is bestedbrand, B-E-S-T-E-D brand.com. Great. Thank you. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. 
What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. So to summarize our pitches, we had Jennifer Catafiotis with Weight Wellness Center providing guidance for weight management for kids. It, and the website is www.kids.com, www.kids.com. We had Rashad Doctor who pitched hand mats and hand mat sport. H-A-N-D-M-A-T-S dot com, hand protectors to guard against cold and flu. And finally, Marie Joseph, who pitched Bested Brand, an agency that will help take your company to the next level. It's B-E-S-T-E-D-B-R-A-N-D dot com. Now, Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once and you have until next Sunday at 8 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt and the best overall vote getter for the week will receive an Amazon gift card valued at $25. So before we sign off, I would like to say thanks to everyone who participated today. You know, this is always so interesting for us and we always learn new things and we can never pick a favorite, but we feel like we're looking at the future and the things we heard today really impressive. So that's what we love about being in this space. I loved all of our guests and our pitchers, and I hope our listeners can follow up with them and find out more about their projects. Thanks to our guest, Marcel Bota from 10X Beta. You took us over the top in so many ways, Marcel. Thank you for being on the show. Uh, before we leave, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Look after yourself. Find balance. Entrepreneurship is hard. It uh, requires a lot of energy. And one of the best pieces of advice I can share looking back at my history is if you focus on finding your personal balance and looking after your personal health and wellness while you go through this process of building whatever your passion is, I think you'll succeed better. That's really great advice. So we would also like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman, who always makes us sound better than we think we did, <laughs> Rob, our engineer, and the whole iHeart team. So don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. Music.